Hello, everyone. My name is Bash Hollow, and I'm so happy to be here with my friend, Brendan. And he <laughs> asked me to talk about plays. And I'm going to be out. I'm going to tell you right from the beginning. The only thing I know about writing plays is how to fail at writing plays. So you're going to learn so much about um, about you're going to be so encouraged to push past through your failures because I'm going to talk about um, how I failed, but nonetheless still had an opportunity to have plays uh, published and plays produced in New York City. So lay it on me, Brendan. Ask me all the questions you feel like asking. Okay, the number one, I asked you questions in different orders, but this one I wanted to start with because my first inkling that you had a touch of the dramatic and the theatrical was in your educational sessions for veterinary professionals, you started having people read these little skits. And so oh, instead yeah. of sort of explaining a random situation about, have you ever had this happen with a receptionist? You now had these four, five, six character interactions on the page for them to read through, trying to bring to life these business issues. And I'm like, wow, that seems really good. And then a little later, I found out, oh, you write plays. I'm like, oh, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. So my question to you is, how did you get started writing plays? Because you are now, I mean, you're a veterinary practice management consultant now. Uh, how did you get started writing plays? What does that trajectory look like for you? Well, I majored um, in English uh, when I was at college, and I took a playwriting course there. I remember um, not getting so. I actually, I want to. Uh, uh, God, man, this is so hard. You, you, you ask people about like to wax poetically about their career. I hope nobody's vomiting in their mouth <laughs> at home. But I'll tell you that when I was in the eighth grade, eighth grade, I had this teacher. Her name was Miss Knox. Okay. I, and Miss Knox made us, made the entire class, sit down, and we had to first write for like three minutes nonstop. Then maybe the next week was five minutes nonstop. And then the next week, and on and on, till eventually we graduated to having to sit down and write continuously, stream of thought, <laughs> for an entire period. And 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 I, that that time, I don't know how many other people were impacted by that, but I have to tell you, that was like unlocking Pandora's box for me. So many demons flew out of me. I discovered so much about myself in that writing and it was really cathartic to be able to write like that. So I think that that's how I discovered the love for writing. The fact that I ended up writing plays just uh, was a way for me to try to, you know, give myself a venue to either act it out myself or watch other people act it out and try to draw more attention, more engagement with other people about what I was thinking and feeling. It was a way for me to try to drag them into my life and sort of shake them and see like, see, this is why I've been so frantic all these years. <laughs> this is my deal. Try to understand. But I want to stop and I want to say for a moment that while I would, was in that eighth grade class writing, Miss Knox, who must have weighed about 96 pounds and had these wire glasses, she would sit there and read paperback books. She was one of the most <laughs> voracious readers I ever met. And I often think about her like she cooked up this idea like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a job with the school district and just I won't do anything. I'll just make those kids write all day long and I'll, I'll read my paperback books. So anyway, but God bless her. I don't know where she is, if she's still alive, doubtful, but God bless her. She's the one who introduced me to it. And I just want to say that when I was in college, the professor used to, taught us a very systematic way 
of writing plays. Well, of course, that was completely unlike what I wanted to do. I wanted to vomit on the page and then sort through the chunks and find the most meaningful chunks of stuff that was there to sort of figure out what I meant, what I was thinking. So the idea that I would, before I could sit down and write, I had to write an outline or I had to figure out the plot, the trajectory right. of it. That was a big old turnoff to me. You know, clear, I mean, you know, not surprising to let you know, I flunked that class, that course. Later, of course, I realized that everything the man was trying to teach me was absolutely spot on, but I was not ready for it at that point. Were you an actor before you were a playwright? Yes, and in school and in college, I um, definitely uh, played around with acting, and uh, you know, again, I was searching for attention, for love, and when I <laughs> when I latched onto that, uh, that was something else. But you know, I never, um, I never, I, I never, all I ever really wanted out of acting was attention. I had no desire whatsoever to be anyone other than me up on stage. I just wanted. All I thought is what I'll do is I will just read it like I would think to read it. I never really had any desire to inhabit another character. None. I only wanted the attention. So that, Which is another bad recipe, I think, if you want to be an actor. That's fascinating because I have read, um, I, I went out to, you were so nice to invite me out to New York to watch a reading of a play you're working on right now. And then I read some one acts. I kind of, I, I went hunting online and found some one acts to buy and read. They're very surreal. And you say they're like, hey, they're kind of just me. I want people to hear me. But the characters are are widely ranged in gender and ages. And I think the way they think and the issues they have. And so is that because you have all that? In other words, is are these all sort of... Um, parts of you or have you found yourself branching into imagining things that you can't fully relate to and trying to do that? No, I, I was, when I was talking about uh, wanting attention for me, that was my life. That was my role as an actor, as a okay. playwright, as a playwright, I really am. I, I, I really am trying to, to explain to you and anyone else who gives me the time to read it or sit through it about what I went through. And, and I want you to, as the, I, I'm trying to find some way to translate this anxiety, pain, worryation, conundrum, whatever, into something that I feel will wake you up so that you get what I mean or think so I don't feel so alone. That's what really drove me to writing and still continues to drive me to this day. Am I the only one? I can't be the only one that thinks like this. So here, let me try to explain it one more time. And, you know, so that's what I, that's why I do. So when you're looking at those variety of characters, yes, that's, they're absolutely, almost always, they're modeled on people that I know or see. So they're real people. They're not me. They're, they're people that I've modeled on typically you know my family or yeah my typically my family yeah is it because you have learned something you want to share or in the midst of part of your wrestling with these things is you want to be able to talk to other people about them so in other words have you had the epiphany and you've come down from the mountain with your tablets and your teaching or are you still in the middle of grinding and wrestling and you just don't want to feel so alone in your work 
So up until this past pay, play that you saw, it okay. was the latter. It was, I was struggling. So here's my, this is, I'm wrestling with something and I vomited out and you see that, that sort of struggle. And I yeah. think in some ways it's compelling, but it's not, I don't really think it's good. This, in this last version, however, I have figured out what has, wh why I have figured out the answer and I have come down uh, what I feel uh, uh, from the mountain with the tablets. Yes, this last play, I feel like I got it. I feel like I nailed what the hell was bugging me and I pulled out that, that splinter and I feel like I'm showing it to you. But the play, so in all the plays I've read, they are all, um, I think they, they, they all have aspects, either they're, they're very surreal themselves or they feel weirdly fantastic. But it reminds me again of that, like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, the magical surrealism. There, there's literally magic in them or they're ghosts or their people are in places they couldn't possibly be. Uh, so it, it feels detached from reality. So that's, is that how you have always written and always thought where these things you're also thinking about that are real world things that you've experienced or things, things you see in the world or things you've learned, you paint them in a way that's again, strange and surreal and magical. Did that just come naturally as what is, why, why do you do that? Because, uh, that, I don't know any other, the, the, the most, the most imaginative that I ever am and the, and the, the only time that I've ever really been able to tell a story that I think is compelling and has some real depth to it and gets me thinking about it is when I dream. So if I were to try to, if I were to try to write like Bernard Shaw, for example, I would be, the, <laughs> it would be so pedantic and so unstomachable. You wouldn't be able to handle it. I'm not, I can't think like that. I'm not, I cannot, you know, I, I think I've told you this before, that one time I went to see uh, The Real Thing um, uh, when, it, when it first came out on Broadway. And, uh, you know, Jeremy Irons uh, uh, plays a playwright, and that's probably the voice of the, the playwright. And he talks about putting together a play as though it's a cricket bat. And you're putting these components together into this one thing that's going to whack that, you know, whack things. And I don't know if I have that ability to be that kind of a critical thinker. Uh, what I can do is I can decide what it is, at least in this thing, what happened was I stumbled upon, after writing for years, uh, yeah. stumbled upon what I really wanted to say, and then found ways to hide more clues about this and give more, uh, try to stimulate thought on your part about what I was saying in these sort of Easter eggs that I planted that were dreamy, that were ghosty, that were whatever, as a way to get you to think more on it. But for me to explain it to you, I just think that that takes all the air out of it. I, I can't do, I don't think I can do that compellingly. I, I, so I, I hadn't thought about it that way. I agree with you there because I was gonna, one question we could ask is, and I hear this asked all the time when people ask uh, interview musicians, interview playwrights, interview actors, what what were you trying to do? So tell me the message of your thing. And when they explain the message, it's nothing like listening to the album or watching the person perform or reading the book. It's never whatever experience, whatever path you need to go through to really get it. Just somebody telling you what the message is doesn't cut it. 
So I'm not sure I understand your question. Are you asking me to tell you what the play is about? No, or, I, I'm saying uh, I don't want to. But are, are you telling me you don't want to either? Because it's not the same thing as reading the play. If you, Do you think the journey people need to understand your point or get what you're teaching is a is a more is a more magical, strange journey? You can't just tell them, hey, everybody, this is the message of the play and that's what you're supposed to get. Yeah, I think that it's better if I, I think since I seem to have failed in the past at explaining to people what the fuck I meant, and you know, they just glaze over or, you know, roll their eyes or whatever. I thought, okay, maybe if I push the same buttons that I felt like had been pushed in me and, 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 uh, that might, that if, if I fought, if I get you to think and feel all of the thoughts and feelings that I thought and felt on my journey, maybe you will have a better understanding of where I'm coming from. So that's, I think what I'm trying to do. Does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. I, I also want to ask, so tell me when you're writing, how do you write plays? What's, what is your process? What is it like? Well, typically it starts out of some, you know, some, I'm, I'm struggling with something. And so I'll get this notion uh, and then I write it out and I don't know where it is. It might be in the middle of something. I, I, t- I do try to write what I write, what I know and what I love. I, I never, I never explore, like I would never write a, I, I don't think a play about, uh, you know, building cars or something like that. I don't, I wouldn't do that. I write about what I know and love. It's, uh, if I'm drawn to something in my life, like farming, like a relationship or a, or a, a forbidden relationship, well, that's very, that's close and dear and near to my heart. So I can run with variations on that theme. Typically I'll be, uh, I'll have this recurring notion of a scene or a, uh, a, a scene, I guess. And I'll just write it. I get angry enough or pain, I pained enough that I finally have no other choice but to try to vent that, those feelings through that scene. And if you keep rolling with it, the next thing you know, you got a lot of ideas for a play. It's a long road to a little house, Brendan, I can tell you that. It would be so <laughs> much better. It would be so much better if I had the wherewithal to, to, to see these things completed. You know, like you look at some of these authors who write these long ass novels and you think, Jesus Christ, you had all of that in your head. I don't know. Or, you know, Michael, I, I uh, you know, uh, the author, Michael Cunningham, I was friends with him when we first first moved uh, to New York way back. And I re- this is long before the hours or be- before he became as famous as he did. And yeah. we would talk to one another at the gym and he had a rented an office space downtown. <laughs> And he would just go there and make himself write. He would, I would just sit there and make myself sit there in front of that typewriter. And so maybe he's doing all the shit that I do. I just feel like because he's Michael Cunningham, he's got a better uh, understanding of it. Or, but maybe he's vomiting up as much as I do or more and doing what I do, just sort of sifting through it and trying to put it all together. Look at, you know, see if, there, see if there's enough, if he's puked up, up enough pieces to put together the full puzzle. How often do you feel that you are directing what's going on? So in other words, you're moving the pieces of the play around as the, as the master of your domain. And how often do you get that experience? I think I've only felt it a few times in my life where quote, you feel like the character is taking control and they're marching along and you're not, you didn't plan for any of this to happen, but boom, there it is. 
well, that when you, I think when you hit on it, that's what happens. If you're worried about, I got to make this into a play or it's got, I got to tie this up with a bow. I think typically that's when you push characters to go against their grain. And that's what was the problem with this play all along. I kept trying to turn it into some politically correct message that just wasn't there. And so the real epiphany, the real breakthrough uh, with this play for me was when I just went through it and was like, no. That's not what would happen, no. And that's a big, that's a hard thing to do, to throw out your entire second act. You know, like, you try that. It's fucking hard, man. You, you just have to say no and just trust that these people will lead you in the right direction. I don't know if you remember the, one of the comments that I thought uh, was so happy to hear that one of the, I think he was, uh, he was doing the, the stage directions. And um, he's a very experienced actor. And he said, I don't think there's any fat in this play. And I was so happy to hear him say that because I, I really worked hard to get rid of all the bullshit in that play. Anything that wasn't true, I just cut. If they, what, if it wasn't what they would do or wasn't what they, I thought they would say, then I cut it. And I just let it, I let it go. I let them do what they needed to do. Do you feel like when people are finished reading the play, I mean, you can't ever say what's in people's, do you think is, is the point clearly gotten? Like if you feel like you had a message to impart, everybody got the message. What was your feeling at the end of that reading? No, I thought, and on the contrary, I thought, oh shit, there it happened again. I spent all these years, all these years working on this and pff, nothing. Um, I did, I will say, you know, the one, one of the things that I, well, the reason that I wanted to have it read is because I thought nobody is going to be as thoughtful about this reading it as I have when I've been writing it. So what I need to do is I need to lead that horse to the water and make them drink and sit, make them sit there and listen to it. And uh, in fact, I get much more positive feedback, much more positive feedback from people when they read it as opposed to listening to it. In so other no, words, I didn't in other that, words so no. the, the actors investing themselves in the role and having to read it closely to figure out why they're doing what they're doing and how they're going to do it leads them to have a better understanding than if you handed out copies at a book club and we all sat and we read it beforehand and then got together with Bash to discuss it. Yeah, I think that that would probably have been better. But, you know, ultimately it, it, it is a play and it um, is meant to be done. And I really, I think I have a really good... I have a very, I think I have a good feel for what the, uh, what the synergistic effect of having live actors on a stage as an ensemble can be. So you could have one person saying something on stage, but if you've got good actors and good direction and those individuals, uh, that individual speaking is surrounded by that, uh, uh, you know, that tableau vivant or that, you know, that scene, you can really get that thing to resonate. So that, that this play has been um, constructed so that you have not just people speaking, not just the scene in what's in front of you, but you have all of that stuff that's happening in the back, which I think gives more resonance to the scene itself. And I don't, I'm not sure if that was clear in the, in the reading. Do you, did I, did I make myself clear when I, what I was just talking about? Yeah, well, you tell me you tell me if I'm right or wrong about what I'm taking from this. I'm thinking about plays I have seen where uh, characters interact with 
the characters of the play interact at different times in different scenes with other people. So the sets themselves carry the weight of something that's happened before that didn't involve those people or those people still remain on stage or there's some hint, all the trails of the things that have happened already with other groupings of the characters sort of carries into that moment where the people are speaking in that moment. Yes, but maybe, but I think more importantly in my plays, what I is that there is typically the the lights are up on other characters of the play going about their day to day lives while there is another scene happening, and so and I've done that because I want you to see that the similarities of what these people are talking about is existing in the other lives of the people that are there. So I wanted to give more resonance, more understanding, more layers. Of, new, of, of, of meaning to what's playing out in front of you by showing you other people on stage, not upstage, perhaps the, uh, so that there's a synergistic effect, so that you're watching the scene unfold in front of you, but, and the plus the actions, nuances, whatever of, of, uh, of movement of the other people give the whole thing more. Uh, body do you have have you tried to give an elevator for this latest play have you tried to give an elevator pitch when somebody asks oh you wrote a play that's interesting what's it about well you know you write that elevator pitch all the time when you're trying to get it produced so i do yes i've written that i've written many 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 variations of that elevator pitch it, you know seemingly it hasn't been a very good job because nobody's decided <laughs> to pick it up but um but yeah, so I've written, um, yes, I've written an elevator pitch of it. You're good. So you're good at thinking about sales and marketing. And and I think you started this podcast with sort of like, hey, I'm going to pitch, pitch you all on why you should listen to me. Does it feel when you have to do that for a play of yours, does that feel reductive or does it feel okay? No, I get it. I mean, uh, I get I get what they're trying to accomplish. And if I could, you know, I know that theaters need to sell tickets. I know that they have a they tend to have um, groupies of actors who are very talented, who are eager to chew up whatever you hand them. And I've written this specifically so that, you know, older women, you know, who are often unused, who are often dying to get up there and show the world what they got. I this is a this is a gift from God to actresses like that. So I I I'm happy, happy, happy to sell them on. Look, not only is this a play that I would love to see produced, but think about what it can do for your company. This is going to be a play that I think that all that your audience is going to embrace. And this is a play that directors and actors can work together as an ensemble and really go after it. So. No, it doesn't bother me at all to try to pitch this as a uh, an, a, in an elevator pitch. In fact, I love it. I love uh, trying to sell that part of it. Happy to sell it. Did you ever, over the course of your life, were there periods where you shut off this creative valve because you thought, well, you know what? I gave this a go and it didn't work, so I'm giving up on it. Yeah, uh, uh, well, yes. You know, uh, so uh, you... I used to be very, she's passed away since then, but I used to be very good friends with this woman named Therese Glick, whose, whose sister is Louise Glick, the, uh, who won the Nobel Prize in poetry. So Therese Glick uh, was also an author. <laughs> I'm laughing because she was a delightful, delightful, wonderful character. <laughs> wonderful. She would say things to me like, Bast, you have anything? <laughs> She would 
say to me, Bash, do you have any idea what it's like to look back on your entire life and cringe? <laughs> she, was, she was one of the most... She was one of, she, I mean, talk about somebody who had done some real scanning of what she was all about and thinking about who she was. She was fabulous. She wrote a, um, a short story, one of the best short stories I've ever read. I hope I'm not screwing up with the title. I want to say it's called The Coastline of Massachusetts. I'm pretty sure that's the name of it. And it won, I think, like the Iowa Short Story Award at one point. It was her sort of, you know, claim, her one claim to fame. But she, um, I loved that story. And she was such an original thinker. And I loved her. And um, so I, you know, by the time I met her, she'd stopped writing. And I asked her about that. At that time, I was still very eager to write and really interested. And I said, don't you miss writing? And she goes, no, no, no. It's easier to take Prozac. (laughs) (laughs) And, And she told me about, you know, the fretting and the worryation and the everything else that she went through while she was writing it. You know, I get that. I really get that. And so I'm not sure that uh, now that I'm older, I really am. I think I may have gotten, I may have said a lot of the stuff that I've been trying to say. If I wasn't successful at getting across, it getting across to this point, I think I'm good with having just said it. I think I am just good with having just said it. I don't know if I have any other ideas that I need that are worthy of me sharing with you or anyone. Uh, so that that's, I don't, <laughs> there's something about that that put me at a, at a loss for words. Is it, uh, it sounds like, content, so it's not, the fact that you've got it out on the page, was there one thing so far with the things you've written that did sort of, that could comfortably put a bow on it and say, I got even if people didn't get it, at least I said my authentic thing and it was good enough for me. Like, is, what was it? Was it the, is it this last play that feels like, yeah, I think I got it. Yeah, that was it. That was it. I feel like not only did I craft something that I would be proud to show a playwriting instructor or that playwriting instructor that I had in school, I would be proud to show that I would pr- be proud to submit that because I think structurally it's all there. And um, and I'm proud of the message. I'm, I'm proud of the voice that's original and it's not uh it's it's not reductive and it's not uh it's it's not pedantic i'm very proud of that and and i really did i really have said what i mean and i think it's a meaningful thing to say so i am proud of that and i don't i honestly i don't know if there's any other yeah i don't know if there's anything else i need to say right now i'm not thinking about not, not that i'm thinking about now is there uh so thinking back to the reading um well, maybe actually you should give me give me the elevator pitch, and I'll tell you. Uh, and I'll and after you give the elevator pitch, there's one part of the play, an aspect of the play, that just reads as as just feels more shocking than the other parts. But I don't know. So tell me if I don't know anything about your play. Tell tell me about your play. The play is about um, a, a collective loneliness that all of us have that per, that. That's, that's induced because of a fear to love or a fear to be loved. And when a character comes along who is willing to do that, but is ostracized from the community or for whatever reason, nobody takes that bait. Um, um, uh, w- one person does take the step out on the limb and takes a risk of embracing what this person has to offer and is saved by that. 
that's what that's what the play is about. Okay, I can I can totally see that. Uh, when you were doing the play, there there is a dark there is a dark violent strand that eventually runs through the play. Does that did ever when you were writing that did that always feel like a necessary part that this crime that violence was important to the story or was there ever a part where you're like I don't does it have to be there does it not have to be there how, how did how did that develop there I don't want to spoil anything so I'm talking about it in very general terms yeah <laughs> well uh you know the play was originally inspired and I don't know why it why this that incident galvanized me to write this but the play was inspired by the the murder of Matthew Shepard okay. there was something about that image of him being strung up on that barbed wire fence um, like a, a, a weird crucifix symbol that that struck me. Yeah. So I think that it, the violence in the play that I wrote is echoes of that. Um, and and certainly I do feel that uh, much of the love in our world is shut off because of our fear of people like Matthew Shepard and any people, any, any others that have been marginalized by society. You know, we have this wonderful resource of intellect, caring, giving, forgiveness, generosity, but we don't take, we don't, we don't allow ourselves to partake of that because it's being offered to us by those, by those people that are on the fringes of society, by those that we've marginalized and sidelined. And we do ourselves and our world and our um, uh, our communities a disservice. You talked a little bit about your early influences, and you've just shared a little bit about the kinds of real world things that might have that might have influenced and inspired the play. Are there people specifically who have helped who help you in writing plays, or is this really a very solitary exercise for you? Uh, all it's very solitary. Okay. I've I've known that uh, to. Uh, to reach out to other people for, what do you think about this? Can you give me your thoughts about this? You know, if you know it's bullshit, it's bullshit. And, you know, so don't <laughs> don't hand it to somebody else and make them read your bullshit. If you're writing something and it feels great, it's probably great. So that's, I don't, I don't do that. I used to, I, in the past, I've given out stuff to people that I know is, I think is landing. And I typically get the feedback that I want, which is attention, acclaim, encouragement to keep going. <laughs> but, right. um, but to, uh, no, I don't, I don't go, what do you think? Or what are your thoughts? I mean, how many people on this world really can look, read a play and take it apart and put it back together again in such a way that it's better? I mean, I think those People are far and few between. I think you're really lucky if you have a dramaturg or an editor that's able to look at something like that and give you a real advice, real good advice on how to fix that. Man, good luck. If you, and if you know that name of that person, can I have their name and number? I've got a lot of <laughs> stuff I'd like to run past them for help. Yeah, don't ask. I, I don't I don't ask my friends for their thoughts. No, I don't do that. It's all it's all alone for me. What do others think, both your friends, the people that know you, and and people in your in the other spheres of your life? What do they think when you tell them, "Oh, I wrote a play," or "Oh, I write plays"? What do people think of that? I don't know. I guess it depends on who you ask. I mean, I do have some fans, um, 
I have some people that, that are very grateful, you know, that I've had some plays produced in New York uh, and uh, there's a, a, a one company called Emerging Artists. Uh-huh. And, you know, the, those actors and those people that have seen it and the other playwrights, they're very encouraging of my work. So if I were to tell them, hey, I'm working on a new play, I mean, they, that, they would all be like, yeah, really, I can't wait to see it. And they would mean it. And um, but, you know, then I have other members of my family that are sort of looking at me, you know, you know, side, you know, with side long. Oh, really? You have uh, you really? So, yeah. <laughs> Do they ever have you ever had skeptical people that were like, oh, I don't know about that. But you're like, no, no, no. Go ahead and read it. Sit down and read it. Does anybody ever surprise you and they do read it and they come back and share with you their thoughts? No. Okay. No, typically, uh, you know, I, I, I will ask people that I trust, that I know care about me and that want to read my stuff and that I know won't hand me a bunch of malarkey about what I've done. <laughs> They'll be honest with me. So um, so those people I'll, I'll allow it to read. But I would never like, you know, I, I, no, I wouldn't give it to somebody that I already was circumspect that they would be, you know, uh, th- they would be uh, unsure about whether or not I, I could be good at this. I wouldn't do that to myself. You're already in a vulnerable enough position. You don't want to put yourself out there in front of to somebody that you don't think is on board 100% to begin with. When, you, when you're doing the solitary work of writing a play, either thinking about it beforehand, doing it, dealing with it after editing, thinking about getting people together to work on it. Uh, how does it, what is, how does it feel? I think you indicated a little bit with your friend uh, that, you know what, writing, it doesn't always feel so great, but how does it feel to you? Um, you have to ask me that question again. Sure. How does it feel to write a, pl- how does it feel when you're writing a play? Uh, well, I think if you're doing it right, it feels like, uh, it, it feels cathartic. I think that as it comes out of you, you think like, yes, yes. And when it doesn't, and when it doesn't, you know, you know, you're in trouble. I think, you know, going back to that Michael Cunningham thing, I think that he would argue, yeah, and that's that those are days you just have to push forward. Um, and I can remember, you know, um, um, I wasn't working on this play, I was working on another play. And I remember I, at the time I was taking care of my mom who was uh, sick with cancer. And I was going through some uh, uh, bad times. And I remember I'd set up my office out on uh, our screened in porch. And every morning I would go out there and I would try to write. And I was struggling with the scene and struggling with the scene. And I was trying to be one of those diligent writers that writes every day. And one day I got it. I got it. I swear to God, Brendan, I got down on my knees and I thanked God, I swear to God. It had been such a long, like, yes, this is it. And it had taken me weeks, literally weeks to get to that point where I was pushing past my own bullshit and coming up with this is this is what this should be, you know, and then finally stumbling upon the right the the right mix of characters, the right lines, the right voices, because that is important for me to write. Um, I like I like the. Uh, the audience to be entertained in, in almost stereo. So in that play that I've written, uh, as you recall, there's often two scenes happening at once. And I love, I, I love what I think that does to an audience. And so to orchestrate how four or five 
or six people are all talking at once, maybe telling two to different, three different th storylines all at once. But to have all of that be meaningful in one sort of sound and sort of symphony, that's hard sometimes to pull off. You've got to keep that all in your head. And so it would be times when I would be writing scenes like that, that it would just take forever. And like, no, 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 too, <laughs> too theatrical. No, too schmaltzy. Stop it. No, that's not what, no, no, stop it. So take some time to get that right. Is there something that that reflects in your real life experience? That sense that multiple conversations going on at the same time also sort of affecting and influencing each other? Is that an experience you have in, in real world at all? Yes, that's how I experience uh, that's how I experience life is that, okay. you know, I feel like I'm sort of sitting there and the, I'm sitting there and this is it's rolling at me on all different channels all at once. And for whatever reason, I'm having this 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 a feeling or thought or or something disturbance inside of me. So I feel like I I want to try to recreate that for viewers for audience members, what do you, I want to, I want to have it come at you in stereo. What do you most, when you finish this play, and it's, as you talking about, you're already working the business of it, which is trying to get it performed. Um, what is your dream for what happens to this play? Like, what do you most hope happens? So what I most uh, uh, hope happens is that I get a director that knows what they're doing, which again, that's, I think that's, I don't mean to sound like a dilettante, but you know, <laughs> directing is very, very hard. I mean, the people who understand how to direct, I mean, that is a really a incredible gift to be able to do that. So I hope that I get a director that knows what they're doing. And I hope I get people, actors who are comfortable enough in their own abilities, they don't have to grandstand, they don't have to do anything. They can just inhabit, they can just trust that if they inhabit this character, uh, that, um, that that the play will the play will work thing itself out uh, by itself. So that's that would be my ideal. I would hope for a staged uh, reading of some kind. And and I've had that in the past. I wrote a play called Cooper Savage that was done um, off Off-Broadway in New York. And I had that experience, you know, because we hired an actress that I thought was wrong for the part. I never really saw her in the part. But she ended up being so damn good in that part that I ended up kind of writing around her. And almost every other play that I've had this, uh, I've had the good fortune of having uh, 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 a a a, a, a director that I thought was good and actors that I thought were good. I, I, invariably, if I thought they were initially wrong for the part, they ended up being so great, helping me in so many ways, adjust lines, adjust the plot. They really helped me see the, see my way forward more. So I've, I think I'm ready for a staged reading for this show. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your taking the time and all that you just said for your play is what I hope for you. I, I really enjoyed it. And so uh, I, I hope we do get a chance to see it in a fashion in which you really feel like it's it's come to life. The, the reading itself was awesome. Just having actors who'd invested themselves in the roles for a little bit and uh, asking deeply for their opinions. I think you're really trying to drag out of them. Hey, tell me what you felt when you really study this closely. So I feel like you got that, but I, I see what you're saying. It would be really neat to have the full thing. Yeah, have them really suss it out because I'm sure that they'll they'll discover things that I haven't thought about and it will be yeah. very valuable. Yeah. Uh, this is Bash Hallow and uh, he writes plays, a few of my I've read, and they're really good. Thanks, Bash. 
Thank you, Brendan. Always wonderful to talk to you.